Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. This is a 15-week study of Who Holds Forgiveness. The word forgiveness brings different emotions to each of us. Join us as we dig deeper into who holds forgiveness. Here's Jacqueline. Uh, We are in week two of Who Holds Forgiveness. How was your study this last week from our week one study? Week one study was not awful. That was a good study. That was crazy um, studying John. And for those of us that attend Eagle Christian Church, which is our host of Women Inseparable, um, our pastor preached on baptism over the weekend. Was that cool? Was your heart just on fire as he started preaching? You're like, wait, wait, we just did this in Women Inseparable. It was as if the Holy Spirit was speaking through his word. The Bible is alive. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. We are going to be um, in your study guides for those that are doing the study guide. It's an option. It's free range. Um, In the study guide, Mark chapter 2 is our chapter for today. I have intentions of getting to Mark chapter 2, but we're going to start in John chapter 1, just to let you know. Yep, sometimes we don't do what we think we're going to do. Sometimes new scriptures happen, and it's wonderful every time. So we're going to open in John chapter 1, and then as our study goes, we will stay in John 1 or pop into Mark 2 or end up in Zephaniah 3. Who knows? It'll be good no matter what happens. And before we read scripture, however, I would love love to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, how good, how good and faithful is your strength. Lord, it's in that strength that I sit today. It's in that strength that I feel wrapped around me today as a daughter of yours, one that you call by name, one that you sent your son for, one that you filled with your spirit. And I thank you so much personally, selfishly, individually for those gifts. And I thank you so much for those truths over every single one of these girls that are in this room, that are listening via podcast, that know you as their God and know that you know them as their daughter. I thank you so much for that personal relationship, and I pray that today you'll strengthen it. Lord God, I pray that you'll strengthen our relationship with you, that nothing else matters, that no one else matters, that our past doesn't matter, our identity doesn't matter, the words that we put on our labels doesn't matter. Lord, none of that matters. What matters is your strength and your love for us and in us and through us because it's that love that changes the world. We thank you so much for changing the world and allowing us to be part of that change. Help us to stand. Help us to stand on your scripture. Help us to stand on your truth. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 1. This is what it says, verse number 1. In the beginning was the word. Some of us have read that sentence before, haven't we? And some of us have already started reading the rest of the passage in our head because we've read it so many times. With that said, here's John chapter 1. In the beginning, as if nothing else was there, in the beginning was the word, capital W. Sit on that for a moment. Last week we talked about John. John appeared. Right? We saw the words, John appeared. And we know he didn't appear out of nothing. 
He was born. We know his whole story. It's recorded in scripture. John appeared, comma, baptizing. We talked about what he did as the word of God came to him and told him what he was called to do. But here we have a whole different story. This, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word appeared is not there. In the beginning was the word. That's the sentence. That's the sentence we could put everything on. That's the truth that we can stand all other truths upon. Because no matter what we believe, no matter what we know about God the Father, no matter what we know, no matter what we believe about Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit, the fact of the matter is, in the beginning was the Word. I'm like, but I can't explain it. Good. Believe it. Because it's truth. Well, I don't believe that it's truth. Okay. Still truth. Sometimes people have opinions. It doesn't make that the new truth. The truth of the fact is, in the beginning was the Word. Sit on that. Let that be the foundation of our study. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God. And then it says these words. It says, and the Word was God. And if our mind is not blown, I don't know what's going to blow your mind. To understand the very Godhead, to understand God, God, is one of those things that when you wake up at 2.37 in the morning, (laughs) and you lay there, can you tell I woke up at 2.37 this morning? And you lay there and you think about your God, and you think about the fact that he's your God, and that you have ownership, and you have a relationship with God, and you think about God. Does your mind just go crazy? Have you ever gotten to the end of your thoughts about God? Or do you get to a point where just like, Selah, and you pause and worship. He's so big. Our God is so big. In the beginning was God. That's how John starts his book. Imagine John, man John, not John the Baptist that we spoke of last week, but John disciple, John attitude. John, the son of thunder. John, the one instructed by Jesus to slow your roll. John, a man, unqualified to be called a disciple, but called a disciple because of Jesus. And after the whole story of Jesus, after Jesus ascended again, John sat with his pen and John wrote the words in the beginning. What did that feel like for John? Have you ever been called to do something and you're like, I can't. I can't do that. I wonder if John felt that. Me? You want me to write the truth of God? I don't even know the truth of God. It's so big. It's so vast. Okay, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, he pens the words of his, of his best friend. He penned the words. That's amazing to me. John had a best friend relationship with Jesus Christ in the flesh. And this is what he writes. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's as if he's trying to get his words out. And there's nothing more to say except that in the beginning was God. 
and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he backs it up even more and says all things. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Do you have a praise on your heart this very moment? I know we have prayers on our hearts. I know we have sorrows on our hearts, but do you have a praise this very moment that God created all things? What is that thing that you want to thank God for right now? I pray that you thank him for that right now. You know, like, but I don't, I want to get on my knees, but I can't, there's people. So write it down. Give yourself a little personal note. Get on my knees and thank the Lord for this all thing that he made. Because I'm so amazed by what my God has done. Verse four, it says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. And I wonder how much Satan hates that sentence. I was reading this passage this week and that line right there hit me. The light, Jesus Christ, shines in the darkness. The darkness that was planted in the seed of man in the Garden of Evil, it, the Garden of Eden, right? Evil was born. The seed of evil was born and darkness started filling the earth. Person by person to the point that that first generation post Adam and Eve was murder. Generation upon generation upon generation, we can read throughout the law of the Old Testament, throughout the prophets of the Old Testament, we can read story after story after story of the seed of evil that came, that darkness that came. And John says the light shines in the darkness. You could say the light shines in the world. It is our world not dark. We could say the light shines in our hearts as our heart not dark. We could think of our homes, we can think of our marriages, we can think of our children, we can think of our grandchildren, we can think of basically anything and we can see the presence of darkness, can't you? Even great things, you can see darkness trying so hard to get in. And John pens the words, the light, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is before Jesus died on the cross. This is before Jesus rose again. This is before Jesus ascended again and sat on the right hand of the throne of God. The light was the light from the beginning. The light is the light today and the light has never faded from start to finish and it never, never will finish. It'll never be dim. This is the light of Jesus Christ. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. We're talking a steady on who holds forgiveness. We kind of peeked into who the, the answer may be last week, not to ruin, you know, the whole study, but we talked about perhaps that the answer is Jesus, as Jesus died on the cross, as Jesus buried our sin, as Jesus rose again, that Jesus holds our forgiveness. Today, my question is, if we know the answer is Jesus, what's our question? What's our question? If the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, that's, we could claim that today. The darkness has not overcome the light. It has not. Satan's wanting it to. He's fighting tooth and nail to overcome the light, but the light has not overcome it. It has not. If we take this personal, which is what we like to do in Women Inseparable, this is why we don't do homework. We do personal challenges that hurt sometimes. Welcome to Women Inseparable week two. 
The darkness has not overcome the light. If we as children of God know Jesus is our Savior, the light is in us. Is that correct? We have Jesus Christ in us. Therefore, we have the light in us. We're also human, right? This is why we're called women inseparable. We're still human. We're still women. We're still alive today, which means we still wake up and sometimes we do something. It's not righteous. Sometimes, am I the only one? Sometimes we could use the word sin. It's a favorite word in Bible studies. We like talking about sin. Sin is fun. I'm kidding. Talking about sin is awful, and it's oftentimes removed off the table because we don't want to talk about it. But the fact of the matter is we're talking about who holds forgiveness, and how do we talk about who holds forgiveness if we don't talk about sin? Because it's not, not where forgiveness has to come in. If there's no sin, there'd be no forgiveness. Think about your marriage. Think about your children. Anyone who's raised a two-year-old knows. Sin must happen, and then forgiveness comes. We're adults, and if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're strong enough in front of people around us, we would admit, yeah, I sin. I sit here before you, and I say, yes, I sin. Is anybody shocked by that? If any of you sat up here and stood up here and just basically said the words, I sin, would anybody in this room be shocked by that fact? If you're ever shocked, FYI, if you're ever shocked that somebody that you know sins, you've put them on a pedestal, what you need to do, kick that pedestal down and remove them, put them back to status of human. Every human sins. It doesn't matter what position they are within the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what position they are in the world. Everybody sins. That is why Jesus came. Because Jesus, there was no sin found in our Savior. Amazing. Amazing that there was no sin found in Jesus Christ. Which means for 33 years in the flesh, in his humanity, he faced temptation. Every day. More than every day. Every moment, every moment faced temptation, and every moment he said no because of you. That's our Jesus. The light has come. He's shining his light on the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He has not won. Look at verse 6. It says, there was a man, and this goes back to our study last week. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to be a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Don't ever put somebody on a pedestal. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John himself never put himself on a pedestal. And I'm so thankful for humility of leadership. Verse 9 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I could just picture John remembering the emotions that were happening, the stir that was going on around the world in the darkness, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And John the Baptist got to proclaim it. And John, the disciple, got to witness it. In his unsaved state, he witnessed it. Rumor spreads, doesn't it? Word spreads. He was in this society. He was fishing. He was an adult man 
at this time, he was in the boat with his brother and his father and his fishing men doing their thing far removed from this John the Baptist, far removed from whoever this Jesus was, but he heard stories. And I'm curious what his unsaved account was. Do you remember your unsaved account before you said yes to Jesus, before you got saved? How many times did you hear rumors of the Son of Man? I wonder what John heard as he heard John the Baptist proclaim and he watched people that he knew say, yes, I want to I wanna believe in this Jesus. I want to follow him in baptism. And John just watching his people and his society change one by one by one until John himself is, I'm in. Verse 10, he says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That right there is John's story. John was part of that. John was made. God made John. And he lived in the world that God made. And John did not know God. How strange is that sentence after you receive Jesus as your Savior? And you look back and you're like, I didn't know. Have you ever had that sentence go through your head? You think about your past, you think about your sin, and you think, I didn't know God. But I know God now. This is what John's saying. Verse 11, he says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Even those who knew God, even those that had the law memorized, even those who obeyed the temple laws, the Levitical laws, did not know who the Messiah was. And then he says, verse 12, he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How personal is that relationship? How personal is that relationship? John has his story. And as you read through the book of John, you get to learn John as a person. You get to read who he was and what he saw and what he testified. There's always a point in somebody's life where you don't know Jesus and then you do know Jesus. We're doing a study on who holds forgiveness. And we hear Jesus come and we know that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. We know this. And I'm praying right now for my words to come out and to be used for his glory and for his honor. And these are my words. In Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, we see a story that is not a new story for many of us. It's a review story for many of us. But it is, if you read through the New Testament chronologically, if you match at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that tell similar stories throughout, if you look this up, this is the first account in which is recorded in Scripture where Jesus says the words, your sins are forgiven to an individual. First time it's said. Is it the first miracle in which Jesus did this? Who knows? John himself says there's not enough pages to contain the miracles of our God while he was here in the flesh. But the words that are recorded for us to read, it's Mark chapter 2 that proclaims it for the first time, what Jesus said. And there's a multitude of people around with multiple stories. John himself. John himself, who said, I heard that Jesus is coming. I heard what John the Baptist was testifying. And I'm in. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I'm following my God. I'm following Jesus. I'm in. 
He was part of this crowd. Peter was part of this crowd. You can go through the disciples, part of this crowd. You can go to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are part of this crowd. The part that God says where John wrote, God came to his people and his people did not know him. Those are the Pharisees. The Pharisees were in this story. And then there's the sick. There's the sick that's in this story. And there's the sinner that's in this story. And so many times we read this story and we think that there's only one sinner. But again, it's full of humans. Sin level is there. There's one person specifically, however, that was full in his sin that did not know Jesus yet. And he's the one who was physically ill, brought before Jesus. You know the story. Let's glance at it real quick. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, he being Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, again, he being Jesus. And they came, the friends. I love this passage. This is my pet favorite. Whenever I get to guest speak, the first thing that I always want to teach is Mark 2. I love Mark 2, so I'm trying not to go on a tangent, but every verse could be its own lesson during a woman's retreat. I love Mark chapter 2. Um, continuing on, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, get near Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said specifically, directly and intentionally to the paralytic, he said these words for the first time recorded in scripture, son, your sins are forgiven. Do you remember that day you learned that your sins were forgiven? Do you remember that day? If you remember that day, then that right there holds your answer to the question, who holds forgiveness? We're all sinners. We're all sinners saved by the grace of our God. And John chapter 1 talks about that even more. It goes down saying grace upon grace. That's what we're given through God. Grace upon grace. And that's the first time this is seen in scripture to a human that's not in the temple. This is the same thing John was laying out in our study last week. Jesus in the flesh, Jesus the man, was not in the temple offering sacrifices for somebody's sin. There was no bloodshed. There's no bloodshed in this forgiveness. Our forgiveness comes from the bloodshed of our Savior on the cross. This man, this paralytic, his sins are forgiven before Jesus' blood was shed. Ponder that this week. We pondered baptism and where that came from. And Luke 3 is an amazing addition to add to last week's study if you're interested. Luke 3, specifically 2 and 3. Phenomenal historical answers to questions in Luke 3. This week, far away from temple, far away from bloodshed, far away from what was known to offer forgiveness of sins is Jesus and an individual surrounded by people that no longer existed in this moment. And Jesus looks at this man and he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Do you ever wonder what his sin was? Ever crossed your mind? 
Do you ever do that with other people? The truth just came out. Sometimes we look at people, and sometimes it's kind of quite evident. I know your sin. Sometimes people can look at us at flash moments of our life, like Martha, and they're like, okay, they saw my sin. Anger went from here to here, gone. And sometimes our sin is revealed. Sometimes those that know us best know us the most, and they know our sin. Sometimes we could do a really, really good job at not showing what's happening in here. Do you know some women can do that? Sometimes women put on a face and are sinning in their head. (laughs) I know it's surprising, but sometimes women do that. Sometimes there are things going on in our heart, some things that our flesh is craving so desperately as we sit in our posture and our appearance, and our smile, and we have no idea the sin that's in somebody else's head, and they have no idea the sin that's in our head. Sin is fun to talk about. It's awful to talk about. I don't like teaching on sin. Anytime I have to teach upon sin, I beg God for a week. Lord, is there something else? Can we talk about grace upon grace? So much sweeter. But the fact of the matter is sin is real. Sin is real and there is not one of us in this teaching that is not associated personally within their heart with sin. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about that person that really, really triggers you to sin. (laughs) We're talking about us. (laughs) Welcome to No Homework, Women Inseparable. Our question is who holds forgiveness? The answer is Jesus. Will you be real enough within your heart, within your soul, to name your sin? I am never going back to Women Inseparable ever again. (laughs) Podcast listeners switching over to something easier. Let's get some comedy. Will you name your sin? Some of us that quickly named it. Others of us like to pretend really well so much that we've fooled ourselves. What's that sin? I could give a list. Scripture can give a list. There's no list needed. We're smart people. We know. What's your sin? Will you name it? Will you even be so bold to get the first letter of your sin and write it on your paper? Make it real. Nope. Nope, my eyes are on you, Jacqueline. I see you. My eyes right here. I don't want to miss a thing. Miss a thing. Write a letter. Write a letter on your paper. You could write the letter backward, upside down. Write the last letter of your sin. Pick a letter in the middle of the word. Nobody around you is going to look at your paper because they don't want you looking at theirs. Name your sin. Once we give it a name... We can conquer it. David and Goliath, right? You've got that sling. You've got that stone. You also have that sin. The question is, are you going to connect those dots? I could tell you my sin 
not all of them were human, right? Every day is a new day. Relationships bring out different sins. Aren't we thankful for that? But some of us have that sin that's almost as if it feels like it's in your bloodstream, doesn't it? You're like, it's part of my DNA. It's who I am. I was raised in a home that required a sin for survival. It's a requirement. And if you did the opposite of this sin, you got in trouble. So it became a life habit. Anybody relate to anything like that? And as much as you don't want this sin inside of you, there's nothing you can do about it. Because it's who I am. It's my language. Can you relate to that? And it's a constant struggle, but at the same time, it's a constant reality. So there's nothing you can do about it. And it's constantly in your head. And the more you know Jesus, and like I said, I got saved when I was three, so it's not like this was before Christ. I can't, I can't be like, well, I didn't know God then. I knew God very well. I started reading his Bible when I was a little girl. I started memorizing his Bible when I was like three or four years old. I, I knew God. He was my dad. His arms were mine. And I had this sin at the same time. So the more I got older and the more I realized, like, this is a really bad thing. I would go to sleep at night in his arms talking about my day and also talking about my sin and thank God that I'm in his arms and talking about my, like, I was just so, like, congested in my heart. And this wasn't just my little girl days. These were my teen days. These were my college days. Sin is awful. It's so real. And it's so a piece of us. So it's not like you can, like, grab it and, and be like, okay, it's gone. It's in us. It's like knit. It's as if it's a seed of evil that's planted in us. And when we water it, it produces more and more. Even, even as a daughter of the king, can we sin? I pray right now that as Christian women, we get real with sin and not hide behind our Christian womanness and get real. Have we had enough with Christian womanness? Sometimes it's exhausting, that pretense that we put on for one another. It's exhausting. And when you meet somebody that's real, you're like, oh, oh, you sin, I sin too. Okay. <laughs> and it's not that you're bragging about your sin or you're like excusing it or justifying it. You're like, you're facing it together and moving closer to Jesus together. Not using your sin as a crutch, but using it as a platform to squash deep down into the dirt so you can get closer to your God. Sin is disgusting. So I met this man and I went on a tangent about him last week. I won't do that again, but my husband, when I met him, amazing, amazing person. We're dating, watching movies together, and I noticed like when he was watching movies or watching TV shows, he'd be disgusted at one particular thing. And always pointing it out, like, why is this an issue? Why is this an issue? Oh, it's exhausting. Statements like that. And every time it was me. Every time. And then we got married. And we're sitting in a Sunday school room. And we're sitting in the back of the Sunday, because that's the place to sit, right? <laughs> back of the Sunday school room. And I'm wearing something new, like a new shirt or something. 
And my newlywed husband leans over, maybe five years, my baby was born. So we're about five or six years married. We're 21 now and he still call us honeymooners. So he leans over to me and he says, is that new? <laughs> Women, how do you respond to that question? Uh-huh. <laughs> and there we are. I have told more than one lie in my life. If I told the truth, I got in trouble. The older I got, the more serious I got with the truths that I said, the more I lost people that meant the world to me, to the point that I got scared of truth. So I kept on lying. And I would lie about the littlest things. I'd lie about the biggest things. I would lie about everything. How you doing? Good. Lie. Is that shirt new? Uh, define new. <laughs> What's the technicality here? It was a wake-up call for me in that Sunday school room, and it had nothing to do with Bible. It had nothing to do with Scripture. It had everything to do with the look on that man's face. That for the first time in my life, it hit me. I can't do this anymore. I can't be afraid that if I tell him the truth, he's going to leave me. can't do this anymore. A lie is gross. Being a liar is disgusting. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Palmer, and I'm a liar. Am I today, to the glory of God, it's a bad taste in my mouth. He allowed me to marry a man who hated lies. When there was a lie on a movie and a lie on a TV show and relationships, people lied to each other, it irritated him. Irritated him, and he didn't know he was sitting next to a liar. How embarrassing is that? It's a gross thing. Scripture calls it an abomination. There's very few things in Scripture that's called an abomination. Sin is gross. Sin is bad. But I called it a lie that day in the sin. I called it a sin. I gave my sin a name sitting next to my husband in Sunday school years ago. And God held it. Because I had to learn I always knew I was an abomination. As much as I knew and was confident that I was a child of God, I knew I was a child of God. I knew I was his daughter. There was no question about it. I knew it. At the same time, I always knew I was an abomination in his eyes because that's what scripture says, right? There's very few sins that are an abomination. I had to learn that there's a difference between me being an abomination and my lying being an abomination. God, God is so big, he can separate that. He's so big, he can separate that. Do you see that? Do you see how big and how strong our God is? He can get that sin that I joke, jokingly said, it's not like we can take it and drop it. God can. God can do that. He can say, Jacqueline, you're mine. That lie, it's got to go. Don't do it. And he walked with me every day, stopped my tongue upon my plea every day. And I learned 
and I practiced over the littlest conversations such as, is that new? That is the hardest truth to tell sometimes. And I learned, I learned by being married to a man who detests not who I was, but what my sin was. And I had to learn to separate that. My question for me and God was, can you hold that sin? I know you can because you're God. You're God from the beginning and you're God always. What's your question? If you know the answer is Jesus and you know God can hold forgiveness, your forgiveness, your sin, God can hold it. He's strong enough to handle your sin. God is strong enough to handle your sin. He can handle mine and mine's called an abomination. He can handle your sin. Are you brave enough and ready to ask God, will you, will you take this sin and call your sin by name? I'm telling you right now, his answer, his answer is yes. His answer is, I have it. I have it. My son died for it. My son conquered it. It's not even on my son anymore. And it's no longer on you. It's mine. It's in my hands. More importantly, you, you are in my hands. What's your sin? Give it to God because he holds your forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our Father. Thank you for forgiving. Thank you for forgiving. You forgive our sins. You forgive our sins the day we receive your Son as our Savior, and you forgive our sins every day, just like 1 John 1 gives us right. Every moment, Every moment that a sin crosses our mind, you forgive it. Every moment our heart wants to sin, you forgive it. Every time our flesh wants to sin, you forgive it. If only we let you. Sometimes some reason we stand in the way. And we don't want you to hold our forgiveness. And I don't know why. I don't know why I do that. Lord, I thank you so much for being bigger than the seed of evil. I thank you so much the light shines in the darkness. And Lord God, I thank you so much that the darkness has not overcome the light. I pray that we'll see that today. That that darkness, that sin that's in us, that the light is so much brighter. And it's so much more beautiful. And that the light wins. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for holding our forgiveness, for forgiving us fully of every single thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WIOnline. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.